be which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. Now notice here, what fruit do you often associate with this passage of Scripture? The Bible never mentions what fruit it is. It could have been an apple, could have been a pear, a mango. I don't know what it was. But it was a particular fruit here. could have been something that we may not even have anymore today. But she took of it, did eat of it, gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. I just want to include these next couple of verses, even though they're really not part of the text. I'll allude to them just a little bit. The eyes of them both were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walk in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Boy, what a big question that is. Where are you, Adam? Today I want to talk about this subject. Why do we live in a broken world. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you'd bless today. Thank you for this morning and the message that we had then. And tonight as we gather once again and uh, hear from you, I pray that you'd speak to us. May we listen. May we apply where is needed. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no doubt as you and I look around that we see that our world is fraught with problems. The world has issues abounding There are problems that are abounding. It literally is a broken world. There's loss, grief, disappointment, fear, alienation, hatred, insecurity, poverty of resources and of spirit, discrimination, violence, pain all over. And all of that describes the very fabric of our common lives. What once Adam and Eve had with God, friendship with Him, now all of a sudden turns out that there is enmity with God. For those who had a reflection of the Creator, now they become shattered images of God. They have gone here from beauty and a place of tranquility now to a place where Everything is problematic. They began with a wonderful family network where God brought Adam and Eve together and then they had some children and those children grew up in a wonderful environment and now all of that changes to a cesspool of such confusion in the family. Now let me review with you for just a moment so you can at least set the stage in your own mind Where are we up to this point? Well, you look at the first two chapters, what has happened? God has created everything that there is. And all that God created, what did He call? It was good. He brought the first two people together, Adam and Eve, 
brought them together in holy matrimony and set them up in a wonderful environment. He gave them instructions on how they're to care for that wonderful environment. And he gave them one simple command, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Here they are in this perfect environment, and there's two particular trees in this garden. One is a tree of life. They partake of that tree. They continue that life that God has given to them. But one is a tree of death, and God has given the instruction that when they partake of that particular tree, they shall surely die. And how amazing it is, out of all of that wonderfulness that God has created, we only get three chapters in, and man has messed it up. I mean, how crazy. Man hasn't been on the earth for a period of time, that long. In fact, some have estimated that Adam and Eve might have even been fresh off the honeymoon. And chapter 3 happens. I mean, how tough this is. So really, when we think about this, we could simply answer this question about why we live in a broken world, and we could very simply say, look, I know what it is. It's one simple word. Listen to this in Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now it becomes obvious here in Genesis. Even though the word sin is not used in this chapter, guess what? We see its obvious effects. What takes place in the next messages here, you're going to see the result of this text that we read here tonight. There's shame as a result of their sin. There's guilt. There's separation from one another. There's separation from God. There's blaming going on. There's justification as to why they did what they did. And then we get to chapter 4, and there's flat-out murder within the family. Now, there'll be other things as we walk through the pages of Genesis 1 through 11, and it'll be quite amazing for you and I to see that what started out so pure, what started out so innocent and so perfect, has transformed into a broken and messed up image of what God had initially designed. So let's answer the question here from what we read, why is it that we live in a broken world? Now, I can't change anything that Adam and Eve did. That was them. And what they have done has affected me. But how, is, how am I being affected today? And what can I look at for the remedy of this broken world that I live in? Well, there's two things that I want to give to you as why we live in a broken world. Two major things to answer this. Number one, because... We do not depend upon God. Think about this. The reason we live up in a messed up, broken world is because we do not depend upon God. Now, as we get into chapter 1, we're introduced to something right off the bat that we really need to set the table before we answer these questions here. All right. First of all, who is this serpent? Because right away in chapter 3, now the serpent. Oh, whoa, 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 hold on just a second. 
I mean, we've been reading chapter 1 and 2. God's creating all these beasts and fish and Adam and Eve and all this. And now this serpent comes in. Where did this serpent come in? Well, to make a long answer short, this serpent really is basically Satan takes over the body of this particular animal here. It is none other than Satan using a particular serpent to go ahead and speak to Adam and Eve. Satan is referred to that old serpent in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and the great dragon, that Satan, was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. Isn't it interesting that he says that old serpent, referencing all the way back to the Garden of Eden? You'll note as we read of sin originating on earth with the first two people, Adam and Eve, that it actually, sin had originated also in heaven with Satan. How amazing reading the Bible, three chapters in, this angelic being, Satan, appears for the first time, and three chapters from the end of the Bible, we see his last appearance, and everything in between is the results of his destructive forces. Satan is doing everything he can to mess this world up. Now, he's going to make you think, I'm going to make things better in your life. I'm going to make things hunky-dory. I'm going to make things much more wonderful for you than God could ever do. You just take of this. You just partake of this activity. You just take of this substance. You just take a hold of this, and life will be so good for you. Ask all the people that have taken the lie that Satan has given to them. Ask all the people that have fallen into the drugs and the alcohol and the immorality and everything else. Ask them if they think, oh, this is a nice, tranquil world that I live in. It's so peaceful and lovely. No, no. We've got jails and we've got, uh, we've got all sorts of things that we're doing to take care of the society because Satan has come in and messed everything up and caused us to live in a broken world. Two key passages to introduce us to Satan. I'm not going to turn there tonight. I'm just going to reference these. But Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14 are two references. You may want to write these down. There are two references about Satan. Now, one of them in Isaiah chapter 14 is really referencing the king of Babylon. Chapter 13 mentions here the burden of Babylon, and it begins to share about this particular king of Babylon that Isaiah is getting a word from God to give to him. But I want you to know that it is not just to the king of Babylon, that may be the first foremost reference, but it also is a secondary reference to Satan himself. Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel's talking to a king of Tyre, And this king is receiving a message, but he has been impersonated by Satan, if you will. And therefore, there is a secondary message that is given to Satan as well. Now you say, Pastor, where do you get all that? Because when you read Ezekiel 28 and you read Isaiah chapter 14, there are clues given in the passage there that only could apply to Satan. For instance, one of them in Ezekiel 28 says, For thou hast been in Eden. Now, this king of Babylon, or Tyre, whichever one here, there is no way he had been back there at Eden. Once Adam and Eve had walked out of Eden, God closed the door to the garden. 
No longer could people walk in. In fact, people ask today, where was the Garden of Eden? Really, a lot of us, as we went through the message several weeks ago, we don't really know specifically where the Garden of Eden is. So this king that was written to a couple thousand years later, there's no way he could have been there, but this is Satan who has impersonated this man and who has come into him, and God is speaking to him and telling him, look, you were a created, beautiful being. You were one of the archangels. In fact, you had the very presence, the throne room of God to come and give all this music before God. But guess what? You had in your heart that you were not content with the position that I created you with. And the Bible tells us that this archangel, known as Lucifer, built up this pride into his heart and basically said, I want to be like God. I want to have what God has. I want people to worship me. I want people to follow me. And because of that sin in heaven, which God could not tolerate, God basically said, you're out, booted him out of heaven, and no wonder why Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, I saw Satan fall from heaven just like lightning. When Satan got kicked out of heaven, he got tossed down to this earth. Guess what's happening now? Satan is here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as the God, small g, of this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2, he is the prince of the power of the air. Now you say, that sounds like really powerful. Is Satan really that powerful? Sure, he's got a lot of power, but remind yourself of something. Satan was created by God and has no more power than God allows him to have. Satan may be the God of this world. He may be the prince of the power of the air. But I want to tell you something. There's coming a day, I'm so glad the book of Revelation is in the Bible, because there's coming a day when God is going to say, enough is enough, you're done with, and he'll be cast in a lake of fire that was prepared for him and his angels. What a day that will be. But that Satan, who had that rebellion against God, was cast to the earth. Guess what? He now comes to this garden. The first two people that are created. And it's amazing what takes place here. It's amazing. Seems a little bit off that we're introduced to this creature. But Satan chose this particular serpent as his mouthpiece because he knew that he couldn't appear to Adam and Eve and speak to them as himself. So he needed a mouthpiece that wouldn't raise immediate suspicion, one that they would not be familiar with. If Satan appeared in his true form, wouldn't there have been warning flags with Adam? They were like, oh, wait a minute, yeah, 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 I, I think I know about that. But Satan never appears that way. I want you to think about this. When Satan comes to you, he doesn't come in all of himself and say, all right, I'm Satan here and I'm going to go ahead and tempt you. All right, you ready for this? No, no. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he comes and transforms himself into an angel of light. So how amazing he comes to this one of these suitable animals particular animal to go ahead and carry out his plan. He chose the one particular creature of God's creation that was the most cunning, the most crafty, kind of wise, if you will, and comes to this one. Now, you may be asking yourself, 
How in the world did, were they not startled by them talking to this serpent? I, I, honestly, I can't answer that question. I have tried. I have scoured through different things. I can't answer that question. So find somebody smarter than me, all right? But truthfully, what an amazing thing that took place here. Since then, I want you to notice there are other voices that are speaking contrary to God. The flesh that I have, this flesh that is born in sin, boy, it it voices itself and wants to go contrary to God. The world that I live in, which is Satan's domain, Do you think this world is a friend of grace? No. you think this world is a friend to you and I who name the name of Christ? You may be a little naive right now and say, well, you know, I would think that if I would get out there and talk about Jesus, well, let me just get out there in the public square and see what happens. Now, I'm not saying not to do that because you and I, Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. But in this domain here, you and I are facing not only, the Bible talks about in 1 John chapter 2, that you and I are facing three major enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So here it is, Satan appears here to Adam and Eve, and Eve specifically, and he begins to tempt her and to basically get her to depend upon herself and not God. How did Satan do this? How is it that he got her to not depend on God? Well, first of all, note this. Satan tempted Eve to think differently of God and His Word. Can we try to get back on the screen back up here on the back if we can? And uh, so that way I can see back there. Satan tempted Eve to think differently of God and His Word. Notice two things that he does to get her to think differently of God. First of all, I want you to notice right off the bat in verse 1, number 1, he starts off with a little twinge of doubt. Look at this word here. He said, the serpent, unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? I mean, right off the bat, did God really say that? I mean, come on now. Are you sure you heard that correctly? Are you sure that that's really what God said to you? Second, I want you to notice, he comes in with a seed of denial. It's amazing here how this progresses. In verse number 1, Satan begins to question the goodness of God, the kindness of God. Did God really do this? But now in verse number 4, he seems to say, look, God's too kind to punish you. Look at this in verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, look, you're not, I mean, come on. God told you, you take of that tree and you're going to die? Come on now. I want to tell you something. Here it is, you notice from verse 1 to verse number 4, Satan begins to show his deception, and there's no stability. Can I remind you of something at living as a Christian? That truth is stable. It has a rock-solid foundation. You can plant your feet on the Word of God. You can plant your feet on truth and know that it will not move. But the lies of the devil, the lies of the world, will always be shifting Deception and lies move along with the, the way the wind blows. 
And so what does Satan do here? Through doubt and denial, he tempts Eve to think differently of God and His Word. He starts getting her, oh, I don't know if you can trust God. So see, he's getting her to not depend. Second thing he does here to get her to not depend upon God is he gets her to, tempts her to think differently of herself. Now notice this. He now casts out seed of disinformation. Satan now begins to put out his own version of the story. And before I get into Satan's version of the story, I want to quote a New Testament verse. In fact, I'd like you to do me a favor. Hold your place in Genesis. Go to John chapter number 8, please. John chapter 8, and I want you to note something here that it says about Satan himself. John chapter 8. Verse number 44. Scotty boy, thank you for the water, my friend. This is good. Let me read John chapter 8, verse number 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now there's two things that I want you to grab at the end of this verse that are crucial to grab onto. Number one, Satan is a liar. Do you see that at the end of the verse? For he is a liar. Anytime Satan comes to tempt you, all you need to do is just rear back and go, Satan, you're a liar. You tell me this is better than God's way, you're lying. He is a liar. But second thing that you need to note about Satan is not the fact that he's just a liar, but he is the father, notice this, of it. I want to ask you a question. What's your referencing here of it? I mean, now, all right, he's the father of lies. We know there's a lot of lies that he's trying to put out there, get you to believe. But it's like there's one lie, the father of it, one particular lie that Satan is trying to get you to believe. What is that one major lie? Thank you for asking. The lie is this. That if you put yourself ahead of God, you'll better yourself. If you put yourself ahead of God, you'll better yourself. Did not Satan tell himself that in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14? He thought to himself, look, if, if I, I, I'm going to be like God and, and I can have all this. Well, he got kicked out of heaven. So what does he do? He comes down to this earth and he tells Eve, Look, 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 you take of this fruit, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to be like a god, you're going to have all of this knowledge and wisdom and everything else, and guess what he's trying to do? Because he can't get the, those angels that are still up in heaven to worship him, now he's starting with these two down here for them to worship him. And he's trying to get them to believe a lie that if they will believe that they can better themselves, then they'll do a whole lot better than what God would give to them. How amazing it is that that lie has been propagated down through the centuries. 
Wish I had time to turn to Romans chapter 1, but I think many of you know the passage in Romans chapter 1. Notice how in Romans chapter 1 that the world, generally speaking, has come to a place where they have rejected God. I mean, would you, would you categorically say that most of our world has rejected God? Think about it. They've rejected God. In verses 23 to 25, we see of Romans chapter 1 that they now, instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping themselves. I mean, we've got Earth Day. We've got all sorts of things parading around of worshiping the accomplishments we have made, the things that we have done. Then you look at verses 26 to 31, and some of the most awful, degrading sins are mentioned, and they start following all these devious ways. Notice here, you reject God, you start looking to yourself like you're God. You start getting into all these pernicious and devious ways, and then at the end of chapter 1, verse number 32, the Bible says they also advance these things and promote these things And no wonder why we have people out there parading and saying, hey, this is a good thing. You know why? Because it started with their rejection of God. It started with the fact that thinking, hey, I'm okay. There's no problem with me. And they started getting into these activities, and God basically gave them up, gave them up, gave them over to what they decided they were going to do. But here's Satan coming into this particular world of Adam and Eve and basically trying to get Eve to believe the lie. Look, you take of this and I'm telling you something, it'll open your eyes like you wouldn't believe. Now, no wonder why we live in a broken world today. Think about what is happening today. Man's been told he comes from an amoeba. Man's told that he's not created, he's just evolved from some things. Man is told today that he can choose whatever he wants to be. He's not created by God. He makes his own initiative. He makes his own desires. He decides what he wants for himself. Man is conditioned to promote himself, worship himself, make life easy for himself, and all the while forget God. And guess what? We come to a place in a broken world because we now are not depending on God. That's why we are living in a broken world. Because we've rejected God. Because we have pushed Him aside and we have said, we are our own gods. That's where we're at today. Number two major reason why we live in a broken world, not only here, notice, Because we do not depend on God. But secondly, because we deviate from the Word of God. Now, two things under this. First of all, there are alterations to the Word of God that take us away from God's intended good. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Why is it important for you to read your Bible? Why is it important for you to study your Bible, to memorize it, to meditate upon it, to know it? Because when the devil comes along your way, he knows the Word of God really well. And boy, he sure comes in a very slick way. And it is imperative that you know it. Coming back to Genesis chapter 3, would you notice something here? Notice what happened. Verse number 2. There's an abandonment here of God's Word. Eve left out some of God's words. I want you to notice this. 
Look at what, look what he said. Look at chapter, chapter 3 and verse number 2. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but I want you to compare this with what God said in chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, read the next four words with me, Thou mayest freely eat. Guess what? She abandoned part of what God said. She told Satan, she said, yeah, yeah, we, we, God said this about, he, he gave us this and we can eat it. No, no. God said you can freely eat it. Now you look up in the Hebrew Bible, and it's very interesting, the word eat me is twice used in Genesis 2, verse 16. You know what God's saying? You may eat, eat. When I went to a buffet, it was rare when my kids were growing up that we went out to eat. And we would try to find anywhere where we had coupons or, you know, they had, uh, you know, kids eat free particular night. But one of the great places that we would go to is a buffet. And we'd sit down at the table and we'd pray as we always did before our meal. And I'd look at the kids and I'd go, eat! Eat to your heart's content. Have all the dessert you want. I don't. Your mother's putting your bed tonight. It's okay. Have all the steak. Have all the meat. Have all the veggies. Eat, eat. You know what God said to them? He put them in the garden. He said, eat, eat. You've got all of it. There's just one tree that is an exemption, but everything else you can freely eat. I don't know why he forgot that. She, she, didn't, she kind of forgot all of the grace that God had showed her. So there's a little bit of an abandonment. But notice further on in verse number 3, then there's an adding to God's Word. Look at this. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now I want to ask you a question. If you go back to chapter 2, do you see anywhere where God says, Hey, don't touch that tree. We have every reason to believe that Eve somehow added that. She added it. All too often, I want you to notice what we do in our lives. We are prone to minimize God's promises, like she did about being able to freely eat, and then we overemphasize the prohibitions. But this brings us to chapter 3 and verse number 3 further where there is this altering of the Word of God. Look at this. She says, look, hey, we're not to eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Notice this, lest ye die. Now look back at chapter 2, verse 17, what God's promise was and His command. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt, give me the next word, surely. surely. Now let me ask you a question. Are surely and lest kind of the similar words? I mean, if you were looking up in a thesaurus, would you look up surely and say, oh yeah, lest is listed there. No, you know what's happening here? What's happening is Eve is kind of hinting at, I don't know if judgment's going to come. God said in Genesis 2.17, The day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. 
But Eve over here, as she's getting seeds of doubt and disinformation and denial of God's Word, she's also thinking to herself, I I don't know that that's going to happen. I think it'll be okay. I think if I'll take of this fruit, I think God will be a little lenient on me. Can I tell you something? When God says something, He means it. God is a God of His Word. Brokenness in this world comes because we alter God's Word here in this way. But I want you to notice that there is an abandonment of God's responsibilities always leading to trouble. Now, if you were to look at 1 Timothy chapter number 2, and I'm not going to look there, it's very interesting how God created Adam first, and that Eve was the one that was deceived, but Adam had committed sin because if he took of it. And God gives some particular instructions to the New Testament church because of this passage of Scripture right here. But I bring this in to help you understand something of Genesis chapter 3. Here's what's amazing. God gave clear-cut responsibilities, as we've talked about in the last several weeks, to Adam, the husband. To, as I talked about this morning, be the loving leader of the home. Eve, as the one that follows that loving leadership of the husband. Now, I'm reading between the lines here, but I don't think I'm far off. Here's Eve talking to Satan, all the conversation we've gone through. And Eve's starting to think, "Mm, I probably ought to check with Adam, but you know what? This, This fruit looks pretty good. I probably ought to ask Adam if this is okay, because he's kind of shared with me what God has told him, that we ought not to eat of this. But I'm telling you, he's given a bargain that I can't pass down. I mean, I'm hitting the sales at JCPenney like you wouldn't believe over here with this tree. You see what I'm saying about Eve? I mean, she's starting to get sold all of this bill of goods thinking this is okay. And instead of stopping and coming back to Adam and say, Adam, I know this is going, this is troublesome for our home, but I want to ask you something. Would it be okay if I do this? No, no. What does she do? She makes a leadership decision and she takes to the tree and then she brings it to Adam. Now, Adam, I don't think he was too far from her. The most beautiful woman in the world, he probably did, just wanted to keep laying eyes on her. But I'm sure he's kind of off to the side just watching this whole thing going on. And as a loving leader, you know what he should have done? He should have come in and stopped it. He should have come in and said, Eve, don't do that. God's given us His promise. He's given a judgment that will be passed on us if we take of this Eve. You've got to step away. And why we live in a broken world today, I think you very clearly understand that the lines are being blurred today with the roles and the responsibilities. Homes are being destroyed. Satan is doing everything he can to mess up the wife and her responsibility and roles. The Satan is doing everything he can to mess up the role and the responsibility of the husband. And we have homes all over, even in Christian circles, that are collapsing 
And you wonder why we live in a broken world? You wonder why there's problems in your home? You wonder why there's problems in the home of the church? Why do we live in a broken world? Well, because there's a lack of dependence on God and His Word. And because there is a deviation from His Word. Think about all that's come through. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Death by sin, death passed upon all men. And as you read through Scripture, you see the effects of the broken world. Chapter number 6 of Genesis, the world was so filled with violence, God had to send a worldwide flood. Later on, down in Genesis chapter 13, 14, 15, right around there, Abraham didn't believe God. And it's produced a group of people today, as he doesn't believe that God would provide him a child, he takes his, his, uh, his handmaid, brings her in, has a child through her, and that produced a group of people today who represent a different religion, which, which does not believe in the God of the Bible, and has been a thorn in the side of Christianity for hundreds and thousands of years. His nephew Lot was so enamored by the beauty of this world that he chose what he thought was best in his own eyes, and that choice later cost his family. Jacob thought he could take care of his life on his own and found himself in servitude to a man for 20 years who was just as conniving as he was. Joseph found himself estranged from his family because of the vicious plans of his own brothers. Samson followed his flesh instead of God, and it cost him his life early. David committed sin with Bathsheba, and it had far-reaching implications in his family. Solomon loved women instead of God, and his life ended on a sour note. Now, I could take the next half hour and go from Bible story to Bible story to Bible story to show you how we find the ravages of Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Broken world, broken world, broken world. And today, as we live here, we look all around us and we say to ourselves, Wow! We live in a broken world. Some of you tonight, I don't want to end on a downer note. Because some of you always come in and maybe for you the half glass is half empty and you're just thinking to yourself, oh man, our country is a mess. This is a problem. This family's struggling. This family's going through this. This problem's over here. Our world truly is broken. And you kind of go down with your head sagged down. Well, can I take you to two verses to read here? Do me a favor, go over to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll read two passages and I'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Please turn there if you would. Or scroll through your phone to find 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 21. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 21. For since by man came death. Now who's that man? Adam. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. Who's that? Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Go back one book to Romans chapter number 5. 
I've read for you and quoted it twice now, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, for as by one man sin entered the world, death by sin, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But notice verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Let me close with this here. And hopefully you'll walk out and you'll be encouraged. We come to Genesis chapter 3, and it's initiating a broken world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Saul before him, Solomon, all the kings of Israel, all the kings of Judah, all the way through the Old Testament. You know what we have? Ravages of a broken world. But everything was pointing to one man who would come from heaven, take upon himself a human body, would live a perfect life, would die on the cross of Calvary, would take all the sins of the world, of this broken world upon him, would bury those sins, would rise again the third day, and give hope to everybody in this broken world. The message of a broken world that has sin written all over it, is a man known as Jesus Christ who died for you and has given you hope. Now, watching the news, all these other things, sure, I get a little, a little timid, and a little bothered, and a little upset about some of the things. I'm like, yeah, we live in a broken world. But I'm telling you what, when Jesus comes to make a new world, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. That's why you need to not just read the first book, but you need to go to the last book and realize how God rewrites the whole story. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Let's go ahead and pray.